0: A couple weeks ago, we had the opportunity to um, serve at the Florida Sheriff's Youth Ranch, and um, as part of our, our summer of service, and those 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 guys were we we played football with them and soccer, and they just they, they kind of stuck with me. And I think it, it, it kind of traces itself back, as I thought this week, to um, Karen and I had Bradley and everything was fine. And, you know, we thought we knew what we were doing as parents. And you get in that stage where you forget the sleepless nights and all that. And we're like, hey, you know, we should have another one because we're, really we're really good at this. And, and yet for two years, we could not get pregnant and it was during that time that we you know contemplated some things that probably otherwise we would not have contemplated adoption and foster care and we had we had really just prayed about it we didn't know what was going on there was no medical reason that says we could not get pregnant the doctors didn't understand but it was during those 2 years that i think God used that to put something in my heart that just never really has gone away. And in a couple of weeks, some of us are going to take some of the boys to a Buccaneers game. John Cordova arranged uh, to get us some tickets, but I, I don't want it to stop with just a Saturday that we go and play and move on. And I think God, if we're honest, He's put something kind of in all of our hearts that says caring for orphans is just right. It's just right. Even the world, even the world that, that uh, doesn't love the Lord, doesn't care about the Lord, doesn't do anything in regards to what the Lord has done, even the world would tell you that caring for orphans is right. You know, and they'll and they'll they'll do it, they'll champion it. Hey, if the church champions orphan care, if if the world, they'll applaud that. They will applaud that. Why? Because God has put it in all of our hearts that it's just right. And the world will have no issue with the church doing anything with regards to the orphans. They won't care. They're not gonna stop that. They're not gonna put a front to that. They're nothing. But but if we simply if we simply go about this from a role of rescuer or helper, if we, if we come to this ministry thinking or this opportunity and thinking that we're heroes and we're just sweeping in, swooping in to save the day, we're going to miss it. And that, that's what I want us to help us to see today. This is not just about assuaging our conscience, or clearing our conscience, or doing something so that we can buy some time and forget about it and put it off to the side, Th- this is at the core of who we are as Christians. It's at the core. And, and that's kind of what stuck with me as I, I studied this and, and looked at this. It's at the core of exactly what God has done for all of us who have received salvation. And I think that's what, that's what makes it hard for me to, to just put this aside, and, and I can't put it aside. What we see in Psalm 68, 5 here, but really all over Scripture, is that God shows off His greatness by caring for orphans. And I want to show you, this is not just one, one passage and, and then it's never talked about again. I, I want to show you briefly that this, this concept, this picture, this truth about the character of God pervades every section of Scripture. You want to go to the law? It's there. You want to go to the prophets? It's there. You want to go to the writings? It's there. You want to go to the New Testament and say, oh, that was, a, that was an Old Testament issue. Wrong. It's there. Every single way that God revealed himself, every single way that God spoke to his people, every time, he always, always, always said, care for the orphans and widows in their distress. Care for them. Look, look, there's going to be some passages that that come up. They're on your handout. For the sake of time, I'm not going to read them all, so just bear with me. But look at Jeremiah 7, 5 through 7 quickly says, for if you truly amend your ways and your deeds, if you truly practice justice between a man and his neighbor, if you do not oppress the alien, looks at this, he says, you want to be right? You want to really do things right? Look what he says. Do not oppress the alien or the orphan or the widow. Do not shed innocent blood in this place. He's saying, look, you want to you truly be right? Look who he says care for, the orphan. Go to Psalm 10, 17. And I'm going to do these a little out of line, make Daniel work back there. Psalm 10, 17 and 18. O Lord, you have heard the desire of the humble. You will strengthen their heart. You will incline your ear to vindicate the orphan and the oppressed. God says, you know, the psalmist says there, he says, you know what? Nobody here on earth may not vindicate them, but you'll vindicate them. Look at Psalm 146, 9. And there are others. I'm just hitting the highlights. The Lord protects the stranger. He supports the fatherless and the widow. But He thwarts the way of the wicked. Look at Isaiah one seventeen. He says, learn to do good. Seek justice. Reprove the ruthless. What? Defend the orphan. Plead for the widow. Look at, X, look at uh, Deuteronomy 24. We're going to study Deuteronomy starting next week, Lord willing. Look at Deuteronomy 24, verses 17 through 22. It says, You shall not pervert the justice due to an alien or an orphan, or take a widow's garment in pledge, but you shall remember that you were a slave in Egypt, and that the Lord your God redeemed you from there. Therefore, I am commanding you to do this thing, When you reap your harvest in your field and have forgotten a sheaf in the field, you shall not go back and get it. It shall be for the alien, for the orphan, for the widow, in order that the Lord your God may bless you in all the work of your hands. When you beat your olive tree, you shall not go over the bows again. It shall be for the alien, for the orphan, and for the widow. When you gather the grapes of your vineyard, you shall not go over it again. It shall be for the alien, for the orphan, and the widow. You shall remember that you were a slave in the land of Egypt. Therefore, I am commanding you to do this thing. Israel, the, the, the direct context of what we see here, and I want us to see this quickly. Israel was an orphan nation. They were overlooked. Neglected. They were nobody. Deuteronomy 7, 7, 8 says that. He says, I I chose Israel. You were were a nobody. Nobody even knew who you were and I chose you. In the wilderness, they wandered around as an orphan and God provided for them day after day after day. He was a father to them. As the generation we'll see in in Deuteronomy, as the generation wandered in the desert for, for some 40 years You can imagine the the number of fathers who would have passed away and the amount of widows and orphans that would have been in the land at that time. And God says, I will be your father. I'll be a father to the fatherless. He looked after them, he cared for them, provided. He says, "I, I will make sure that you're provided for. And there's a lot lot going on in this world when we when we look around when we when we look around and contemplate a lot of the things that are going on right now when we look around and and see the state of affairs, it, it is alarming at best. but here's the, here's the reminder. And, and here's the reminder for even this ministry. Our hope is not in this world. Our, our hope is in a risen Savior who has promised, that one day He will personally return again for His children, and He will deliver them. And He will take into account how His people cared for the orphan and the widow. And one day our Lord is going to return, He is going to reign supreme, and we won't, we won't have all of the stuff that we deal with today. There will be no need for orphan and widow care in that day. But until that day comes, He has commanded us to be that to the orphan and the widow. And this is the crux of where I want to go today. This is where the cross comes into clear focus. We, we must keep the cross in focus, even here on orphan care. We, we can do this for a lot of reasons that have nothing to do with the cross if we are not careful. The cross... Must remain center. Look at me at James one twenty seven. He writes, "Pure and undefiled religion in the sight of our God and our Father is this: to visit orphans and widows in their distress, and to keep oneself unstained from the world." He says, "Pure and undefiled religion is this: you care for the widow and the orphan." You want to know what's pure? You know what's right? You know, it's at the core of our Father's heart. It's caring for the widow and the orphan. And the core problem you'll see in Israel, the, in Deuteronomy, as we study that, the core problem for all of us is this: our tendency is to forget what has been done for us. It is to forget who we were before Christ. It's to forget who we were without Christ. It's to forget. We'll see time and time again in Deuteronomy, he says, look, I'm taking you into a land that is flowing with milk and honey. It is a rich, rich land. And he says right at the beginning of Deuteronomy, he says, but do this, be careful. When you go into that land, you're going to have a tendency to forget that you didn't dig the wells. You didn't plant the olive trees. You didn't plant the vineyards. You didn't do any of that stuff. I did it for you, God is saying. I did that for you. But you're going to become arrogant and you're going to forget. You're going to become arrogant and think, oh, look at what we've got and look at what we've done. And God's saying, you didn't do any of that. I did all of that for you by grace. And the same is true for us today. We forget. For Israel, it was to forget that they had wandered in the desert, that they had been slaves to Egypt. All that God had delivered, that He had parted the Red Sea... He had done all that. But for us today, it's the tendency to forget that spiritually we were orphaned. Without Christ, we were orphans. We had a father, Satan, who wanted to steal, to kill, and destroy. He was, in a reality, he was no father at all. We, we were widowed by sin. We were widowed by its consequences. And along came Christ. And by God's grace, we believed the truth that we were sinners, we repented. Those of us who have done that here today, we were washed clean. We traded in for sinfulness, for forgiveness. We traded in death, for life. And through our belief, God rescued us from sin's punishment. He rescued us from sin's condemnation. He rescued us from that orphan state. And in, in that place, he, the Bible says He adopted us. He adopted us. Look, look at Romans eight fourteen through 17. He says, For all you who are being led by the Spirit of God, these are sons of God, for you have not received a spirit of slavery leading to fear again, but you have received a spirit of adoption. By sons we cry out, which we cry out, Abba, Father. The Spirit Himself testifies with our spirit that we are children of God. And if children heirs also, and heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ, if indeed we suffer him so that we may be glorified with him. He adopted us. He gave us a hope. He gave us a future. He gave us daily provision. He gave us an inheritance that will not fade away. All because of faith in the cross. All through faith. All trusting in the death, the burial, resurrection of Jesus Christ. God gave us that. And and at the cross, God judged our sins, and at the same time, He made us to be sons and daughters when we believe in that. He adopted us. We we were utterly helpless, helpless to do anything about our situation. In His great mercy, He stepped up and He gave us everything we were lacking and could not do on our own, and God did that all through the grace of God. He put His Son on a cross to pay the penalty we deserve to pay, to take the punishment we deserve to take. And He didn't just free us and let us go. No, no, He took us in. He freed us and He took responsibility for us. He made us a part of His family, and that's salvation. We were helpless to do anything about that on our own. and God did that. And, And that's why the cross has to remain center in our lives. We have to understand that's why we do this. Because of what's been done for us. Not to ease our conscience. Not so we look like the rescuer. Not that we can be the hero. No, because God has already been the rescuer. He's already been the hero. And as I sat this week, I thought about in my own heart. I could give you a hundred, easy, I could give you a hundred reasons... Why not to get involved? Or why to be very casual with your involvement? Good reasons. I mean, these were just some of the reasons that if, if you laid me open, here are, some, here are just as raw as it is, as vulnerable as I can be before you, reasons that keep me from acting in faith. Reasons like this. Not knowing what you're bringing into your home. Worried about that. Or, or bringing more variables into your home. I mean, we're out every night of the week already. Let's just keep adding variables to it. What, what are we, chaotic? Unknown behavior issues. Unknown health issues. Maybe Maybe there's substance dependencies, depending on what mom and dad or what mom did. Harmful mindsets that they may bring into your home. Some of them, depending on the age, may come into your home with experiences that you don't want your children to know about. They might. Maybe you worry how they'll fit in. Will they, will they accept your love? It doesn't always go perfectly. Maybe you're fearful that they'll, you got everything just the way you want it and you bring another variable in they're going to mess up your perfect little home. I mean that that, that, that's that's my list. Without consulting anyone else. And then and then the Lord reminded me of the cross. And he said, Chris, there was nothing attractive in you that, that made me want to save you. Nothing to make you worthy of my love. You were addicted to things. You had, you had some issues. You, you at times, even today, stiff arm my love, don't receive my love the way you should, turn to other things, rebel, stiff arm my grace, stiff arm my love, stiff arm my compassion, my mercy. You, you have wrong mindsets. And yet he reminds me that he pursued me. He did that for me. To this day, I still find myself at times falling back into those same traps. My own thinking, own ways, chasing after other loves, putting stuff ahead of God. But when we realize, when we realize who we were and who God died for, All of a sudden, loving the unlovable makes perfect sense. Makes perfect sense. You understand why it's at the heart of God because that's exactly what He did for you and for me. He rescued me. We're not here to rescue orphans, God is the rescuer, He's the rescuer. What what He's called us to be are simply conduits of the grace and mercy that we have received. He says, you be a conduit to that. You don't be a dead end. You be a conduit. You pass that on to other people. You pass it on. See, James 1.27 makes perfect sense when we're reminded of that because all of a sudden in caring for orphans and widows we're doing exactly for others what god did for us we're doing we are loving others the way we would want and have been loved by god that's why it's pure and undefiled religion it's loving god and it's loving others it's the core we'll see that in deuteronomy don't don't complicate things with the law at the core of the law it was this love god love others Matthew twenty two, he says, "What's the greatest commandment?" He says, "Love your God is the greatest commandment." The second one is like it: love your neighbor as yourself. It's no different. In caring for orphans, caring for widows, we are loving others as ourselves, and it all flows from our love for God and gratitude. Caring for orphans and widows makes sense—perfect sense—when we see ourselves and the cross accurately. When we see ourselves in the cross accurately, it makes perfect sense. That's why in a couple weeks we're going to Pasitos de Jesus. That's why we go there year after year. Why we sent them Christmas gifts. Why, why many of you here sponsor children. We had, um, I can't think of the guy's name from Compassion, come here and, and many of you sponsored children. Karen and I do that. Why, why some of you are hosting children even right now from China. It goes on and on. Why? Because we're being conduits of God's grace. And spiritually, we're realizing that we were exactly where the orphan is physically. We were there spiritually, and God reached down in His mercy and in His grace, and He rescued us. He rescued us. Yeah, I thought about this. I mean, my parents are sitting right back there. I had wonderful parents. I had nothing to do with that, though. That was all grace. I didn't choose them. They didn't choose me. There were times growing up, they probably wondered is this really, is this child really a gift of God or not? But God, in His grace, gave me to great parents. I, I can be, re- if I'm not careful, I can become real prideful and arrogant about that. Like I deserved it. Instead of just saying, thank you, Lord. And kind of what hurts me the most and even what confuses me the most about this issue is that these orphans had nothing to do, they had no say-so in having the situation that they find themselves in. It's not their fault at all. Nothing about it is their fault. And here I sit with two wonderful parents, by God's grace, and here they sit, without experiencing that. And God is reminding saying, what are you going to do about it, Chris? And in orphan care, James says it's pure and undefiled religion. Why? Because it's doing for others who have no means of re- repaying you. I have no I have no grounds. I have no ability to repay God for His grace. None. I mean, I can try, as foolish as that is But orphan care is pure religion. Why? Because they can't repay you. But not only that is pure religion because it's a reflection of the gospel and what God has done for me. It's a reflection. And and as I grapple with this, I feel like it, I believe with all my heart that where this starts is with the church, and it starts individually, and it starts corporately. And as believers, we cannot turn our back on others and refuse them the same grace that God gave to us, the same mercy that God gave to us. And you see this in Matthew 18. Look with me in Matthew 18, just to make it crystal clear this context is, for, is, is immediately in the context of forgiveness, but you'll see it goes way beyond that onto mercy. He says in verse 23 For this reason, the kingdom of heaven may be compared to a king who wished to settle accounts with his slaves. When he had begun to settle them, one who owed him 10,000 talents was brought to him. But since he did not have the means to repay, his Lord commanded him to be sold along with his wife and children and all that he had, and repayment be made. So the slave fell to the ground and prostrated himself before him, saying, Have patience with me, I will repay you everything. And the Lord of that slave felt compassion and released and forgave him the debt. But that slave, who had been forgiven, went out and found one of his fellow slaves who owed him a hundred denarii. And he seized him and began to choke him, saying, Pay back what you owe. So his fellow slave fell to the ground and began to plead with him, saying, Have patience with me, and I will repay you. But he was unwilling and went and threw him into prison until he should pay back that what he owed. So when his fellow slaves saw what had happened, they were deeply grieved and came and reported to their Lord all that had happened. Then summoning him, his Lord said to him, You wicked slave, I forgave you all that debt because you pleaded with me. Should you not also have mercy on your fellow slave in the same way that I had mercy on you? And his Lord moved with anger, handing him over to the torturers until he should repay all that was owed him. My Heavenly Father will also do the same to you if each of you does not forgive his brother from your heart. We are to give others that which God has given us. We are to treat others in the same manner that God has treated us. And this is especially true with regards to orphans. And again, we think through all these scenarios and all this stuff, and it can seem overwhelming to us. It can seem like, what do we have to offer? But hear me, nobody is beyond the hope of Jesus Christ. It may seem impossible to you. It may seem unmanageable to you. It is not unmanageable to God. He will equip us to do that which He's called us to do. And I, I was reminded this week of a couple of weeks ago, Leah was up here and was baptized. And there was a lady, her guardian ad litem, I think his call was back here, and as she watched the baptism, she told some people, it is a miracle that that young lady's up there. Why? Because Ken and Kimberly took a risk and acted in faith. And Leah knows the Lord has had her sins forgiven. I remember when we went to the Florida Sheriff's Youth Ranch, she asked on her own if she could talk to the 30 boys and girls there. And the thing that stuck with me, each home she went to in groups of 10, the main message was this, it's not your fault. It's not your fault. There there is a God who loves you, and it's not your fault. And ultimately, when we as a church or individually as Christians serve orphans and minister to orphans and widows, what we are giving them is Christ. What we are giving them is that which we have personally received. No matter their past, Christ can forgive. No matter their situation, as overwhelming as it may seem to us, I'm reminded in Luke 1.37, nothing is too difficult for God. What's impossible with man is absolutely possible with God. And that is why the cross must remain central in our, all of our efforts. What we are offering is Jesus Christ through us. We are offering them Christ. It will not be easy. It will not be smooth. I'm not here to say that. It won't always have a happy ending. Jesus Christ Himself came to this earth to seek and save the lost, and the Bible says that He was rejected by the very ones whom He came to save. The Bible says He came to His own, and His own did not receive Him. Rejection is the response that Christ faced most while He was on earth. But He came anyway. He offered salvation anyway anyway. You say, well, Chris, well, what's the situation? How how be it, What's the need? What's Let, listen to this just for a second. Here, here's the most accurate numbers that 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 we could get. I, I called on Thursday and spoke with an individual. In in number of kids in the foster care system, listen to this. Number of kids in foster care in Hillsborough County, 2,646. In Pinellas and Pasco County combined, there are 2,438. You're talking about 5,000 kids in the foster care system. Number of kids in out-of-home care. These are are children who have been taken from their home. Hillsborough County, 1,761. Pinellas, Pasco, 1,622. Taken from their homes. Just last year alone, 1,400 kids in Hillsborough and 1,300 in Pasco, Pinellas were removed from their home. Just last year alone. And this is, this is what weighs on me. Number of foster homes. Again, you hear the need. Number of foster homes in Hillsborough County, 381. 629 beds. Pinellas Pasco, 339 homes, 616 beds. There's no telling how many Christians are in those three counties. The, the elephant is not that large. I mean, it's big, but it's not like there's 50,000. The need still is huge. And I would challenge you, this is not a one-size-fits-all issue. It's not everybody's situation in here is different. It is not a where you say you have to do this or nothing there are opportunities available for every, the thing that, at, at every turn, my, my flesh, I'm, I'm trying to think of things, and at every turn, God answered the, the issue. There, there are situations, you say, well, well, I don't have any kids at home, I, my, okay, uh, my situation is this, okay, what if you mentored once a week? There's a huge need for individuals just to spend one hour once a week with kids, you say, well, I don't know if I could take on a kid for, for a year or two years, okay? They need these things called safe houses, where when they remove a child from their home for whatever reason, they need a place for that child to go immediately just to calm down, chill out the situation, and then figure out so the state can figure out what they're going to do with them. Could be a weekend, could be a couple of days, could be a couple of nights. You say, well, well, some of you in here are are doing this by God's grace. You're saying, you know what? Hey, I, I'm willing. I'm all in. I'll, 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 I'll take a foster kid for, for child for how how however long. The, the Hamptons just went through this four kids program. Or are waiting. No matter where you are, some of you may say, you know what? I might even want to adopt. Okay, that'd be great too. This is what I'm trying to say. This will look different. This ministry will look different no matter where you are. It will look different in every one of our lives. It's not a one size fits all. But as I thought about this, what a statement to the world and to our community if Christians responded to the need. Why? Because of God's grace in their lives. Because of God's grace. What what if a community started looking to the church because the church was meeting the needs of the community and doing exactly what God called it? That'd be a pretty cool testimony. If a worldly community was looking to the church to do what God has already called the church to do, what what a picture of the gospel the world would see. I I thought about this. What, what What if this church periodically and it ebbs and flows and all that just had foster kids just running around? Hear me, that, there would be a lot of issues with that. There, it would, issues, I don't, that may be too strong, but it would bring in a lot of variables and all that. But again, we serve a God who is able. We serve a God who is able. God desires to provide for the orphan, and He desires to do it through the church, individually and corporately. You and me as a community. I mean, imagine doing it together. That's what the church is to be about, doing it together. And I'll be the first to tell you, it scares me to even throw my name in the hat. It's very scary. It scares me for what it means for me individually. It scares me for what that means as a church. And we're trying to figure out how to multiply rooms right now just with the kids we have. I, I, but I want to lead us well. And I don't want to be afraid to challenge us and put the word of God right before us. I mean, I thought about it even last night. I'm I'm here today as your pastor by faith. No guarantees. Had a very comfortable position in recreation. There are times where in my flesh I wonder, what was I thinking? There's no guarantees, for better or worse. I mean, you're talking about a guy who loves comfort, who loves safety, who doesn't really want to take risks in and of themselves. And yet here Karen and I are. But we've seen firsthand that God is faithful. And the blessings over the last two and a half years that we would have missed out on, had we stayed comfortable, had we just stayed put and done nothing, would have been regrettable. And for some strange reason, people keep coming here and agreeing to walk with us, and and all of that would have been missed if we had not acted by faith and just simply trusted God. And overwhelmed, you talking about overwhelmed? I'm daily overwhelmed by the responsibility of being this pastor. I have no clue what I'm doing here. But I'm reminded every single day that my grace is sufficient. God reminds me every single day, my grace is sufficient, Chris. My strength is made perfect in your weakness, Chris. And I don't want you pastoring that church, Chris, in the way that you would pastor it. I want you pastoring the way that I would pastor it because God says, I want the glory, Chris. I don't want you getting the glory because you're not worthy of the glory. And I'm not. God is able. You say, okay, well, how, how do we respond? Let's bring this thing home and... How do we respond? Here's here's what I would. There's many responses to this some good, some bad, some better, some worse. Here's how I would ask you to respond, and you see it there on your handout. The first thing I would beg you to do is respond prayerfully. At least pray about it, at least consider it, at least talk with God about it through prayer. It's undeniable when you look at the scriptures, it's undeniable this is clearly the heart of God. The second thing I would say to do is count the costs. The Bible is very clear in Luke. Nobody builds a tower without counting the cost. Hey, count the cost. Make a wise decision. What is this going to look like in your life if you get involved at any level? What is this going to look like? Thirdly, respond in obedient faith. I, there is an option, and I'm throwing this out there. There is an, there is an opportunity. Let us let me rephrase that. Opportunity. Uh, if, if there happened to be a, a, a quorum here that wanted to at least be certified, wanted to at least be eligible, wanted to at least in some way put their, put their hat in the ring, four kids will come here to Odessa and they will do a, They'll do the class here at Odessa for us. It's free. It's a free class. The only cost is twenty five. I think it's a twenty five dollars for fingerprinting. I'm looking at the Hamptons because they're experts here. They they've already went through this class. I thought about how cool would it be to do this together. How cool would it be to be in this thing together, to walk through this together. They'll come here and they'll do the class for free. If we, I'd throw it out. Would we be willing to do that? On some level? And, and here's what I would ask. Prayerfully consider it. Count the cost. And then I would ask you to simply email me. Email me and let me know, would you be interested in taking that class? We need to know because if he's going to come and the resources and all that, there needs to be a, a, a some number, I don't know, 10 or whatever. I don't know what the number is. I'll make something up deal with it later but would we be willing to do that would, would we be willing to just come and hear him out and get the facts and test the waters a little bit would we at least be available to meet a need as a need arises I, I don't want to individually or corporately as a church be a dead end when it comes to God's grace I do not want it to stop with me God saved me that through me He could tell others about His salvation. That is why I exist. That is why God did not save me and then immediately take me home. He saved me so that I could go and tell others. And in 2 Timothy 2:2, that faithful men and women would pass the gospel on to faithful men and women. So I challenge us. Are we going to be a dead end to God's grace? Or are we going to be a conduit to that grace which we ourselves have received? And hear me. I don't want in any way, shape, or form, if you choose not to do this, I don't want you to think that you're less. Not everybody will do this in the exact same form. Not everybody's life is going to look, so we're not going to become arrogant. Well, I did it, and she didn't, and three of us did it. No, no, no. We're not going to be, let Satan divide us over this. But I would challenge you to get involved at some level. It is clear God's command and God's word says to get involved at some level, whatever that level might be. So I would ask you to prayerfully consider it, to count the costs, and then respond in faith, whatever that, whatever that might be. Whatever that might be.